I'm Tracy Sable. Tonight on EWTN News Nightly, intense search. Law enforcement are following up on hundreds of tips in their manhunt for the mass shooter in Maine. And we, the families, will not stop until everybody is back. We hear from family members of those taken hostage by Hamas. Eric Rosales has the latest. Hanging by a thread. China pushes the boundaries of its strained relationship with the U.S. We have a report from the White House. And praying for peace. The Holy Father holds a special service at the Vatican. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us. Our top story tonight, we are learning new details about the victims killed in Wednesday's mass shooting in Maine. This as the manhunt for the shooter intensifies. Throughout Friday, law enforcement vehicles were seen racing from town to town. The search has also expanded to a nearby river close to where they found the vehicle of 40-year-old Robert Card, the man accused of gunning down 18 people. For more, let's go to Philip Crowther, international affiliate reporter with the Associated Press. He is standing by in Lisbon, Maine right now. Philip, so what are you finding out about the victims? Well, look, while we've been uh, trying to find out uh, where and when the police are themselves attempting to find the suspects. Uh, we got a reminder today that it's really time to pay our respects to those who lost loved ones and to those who lost their lives in this mass shooting. The names were read out uh, at the press conference just a short while ago. All of the names, all 18 of the victims have now been identified. Their photos also published at that press conference uh, by local officials. We know their age range as well from 76, the eldest person who died in that mass shooting, to 14, the youngest. We know that there was a youth bowling league underway at the bowling alley that was where the first part of this mass shooting took place. The other part, of course, a restaurant and bar uh, in the same town. Uh, we, at this point, uh, don't know uh, exactly what kind of arrangements there might be for this, these victims, whether there might be something held publicly, who might attend, but it was a reminder uh, just a very short while ago that 18 people lost their lives and that three people are still in critical condition in hospital. This was the 36th mass shooting in the United States this year, the worst one this year as well. And Philip, we know it's so very tough for the families there and catching uh, the suspect really is top of mind for them. Where does, you know, the search stand right now for the suspect? Well, look, the simple truth is it has been unsuccessful so far. Uh, we're soon about to enter the third day of this mass manhunt. There are hundreds of police officers and FBI agents out here looking for this suspect, be it on the ground. We're seeing convoys of police cars driving up and down this road right here, going to houses or businesses where they might have heard there could be a lead unsuccessfully so far. There's a search in the air as well. We see and hear helicopters. And there's a search on water as well. The river here has become a focus of the search, according to uh, the police officials who spoke to us uh, earlier today. Uh, what we're seeing essentially during the day are police officers uh, swarming toward one place where they think they might be able to find either a lead or the suspect himself. And then usually maybe half an hour or one hour later, 
they tend to leave that place again, having found out that there was nothing for them there to find. Uh, police officials also this morning admitting that the further this search goes on, the more desperate, essentially, they will get. Important to note, though, that the search area has not been expanded. It's still a relatively, relatively small area. Uh, four towns in this area, a very rural area as well. There's been no search expanded to neighboring states, for example, or to Canada. Philip, almost out of time here, but wondering, I mean, has the motive been released? I mean, police, do they know anything about that? What's behind it? Yeah, it's a good question. That is what's missing, along with the suspect. There is no motive right now. What we do know there is now and has been acknowledged by police in the last hour is that there was indeed a note left behind by the suspect. It is believed to be a note to his son. And law enforcement officials speaking to the Associated Press said they believe that this was a suicide note. They also say, though, that there was no motive in this letter. We still don't know whether there was a personal connect connection between the suspect and the two areas where the mass shooting took, pla took place. The bowling center, first of all, then the restaurant and bar uh, thereafter. We don't know whether this was a personal feud. We don't know to what extent this suspect might have had serious mental troubles. We know that there were some. We don't know exactly how serious they might have been and what, ex what exactly they might have entailed. But all of that led to that grisly deed uh, now uh, almost 48 hours ago. Oh, Philip, thank you so much. Live for us in Maine tonight. We appreciate it. Uh, more than 350 state, local and federal law enforcement officials, as well as the Coast Guard and FBI, continue their manhunt for the shooting suspect, Robert Card. And here to help us uh, shed more light on this search and give his analysis is Edmundo Morales, former FBI special agent and Medal of Valor Award recipient. Ed, thank you so much. We appreciate you coming on today. I know you've been involved in a lot of dangerous and high-profile cases. What's your analysis of the situation? And why do you think it's been so difficult to track this suspect down? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. And secondly, uh, my condolences go out to all the victims. Uh, it was a very tragic event. Uh, unfortunately, uh, an event like this is, is a very complex uh, event, very complex investigation. You've got two major crime scenes. Then you've got the crime scene at the marina with the car and then the crime scene at the, uh, at the subject's house. So uh, unfortunately, the subject, uh, Mr. Carr, got to jump on everybody by... by uh, carrying out a surprise attack, and uh, it was so quick and and, and so uh, horrific that uh, he was able, in, in the confusion, was able to to make his escape. Unfortunately, uh, when the uh, the net was set up around the area, he had already. Uh, it's obvious he had already, you know, departed the area, and uh, was uh, able to to get into his vehicle and, and drive to the marina. The problem is. Uh, there's two schools of thought. Uh, one school of thought uh, is is uh, thinking that he may have jumped in the river and drowned himself. The other school of thought is he, he uh, may have uh, jumped in some sort of a uh, transportation mechanism, uh, a boat, a, 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 a ski-doo, a car, or maybe he, he hiked out of the area. So uh, without any real solid lead as to what he did and how, how he affected his escape, it, it is pretty tough for law enforcement. To, to, uh, to actually, you know, uh, track him down. That, that's why they're, I mean, it, it's, all, it's all hands on deck. And that's why you see so many law enforcement officers out there with all the resources available to them.
Yeah, and we just heard um, that shelter-in-place order has been lifted. Uh, what exactly does that signal? I, I have to be honest with you. I was I heard that too in the last few minutes. I was shocked. I said, "Wow, this is amazing." I, I don't know either. Uh, it's my understanding that, that the shelter-in-place uh, order was only rescinded in the surrounding areas, not in the immediate area. So I really don't understand that, quite frankly. Yeah, we're almost out of time, but I quickly want to ask you this, because as I want to focus on the victims here uh, before we go, how important is it to the families uh, that this manhunt ends and they get some closure? Oh, obviously, it's very important. I mean, you, 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 uh, you know, it's like it's unfortunate in the uh, the type of work that we've done or that I've done in the past, uh, you know, decades. Uh, if you have a missing person, I mean, you, you need some closure. You know, what happened to that? What happened to my loved one? What happened to my, my friend? Uh, people need closure. And, and uh, hopefully that closure is the uh, the location, apprehension and, and the uh, arrest and, and trial of uh, Mr. Carr. If, if he, Mr. Carr obviously has a vote. If Mr. Carr chooses to, to fight it out with the police, and you know that outcome, you know remains to be seen. Ed, thank you so much for coming on today for your analysis. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Well, the Diocese of Portland, Maine, hosted a rosary earlier today for the communities of Lewiston and Auburn due to the shelter-in-place order. At the time, other events like a men's retreat and middle school day of reflection have all been canceled. This as the community tries to come to grips with a deadly mass shooting. Joining us now is Bishop Robert Dealey, head of the Diocese of Portland, Maine. Your Excellency, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, first off, our thoughts and prayers are with everyone in Maine right now. I know this is a, a really difficult time. That said, tell us, I mean, how important is it for us to rely on our faith in times like these? Thank, thank you, Tracy. It's, it's, uh, of course, it's very important uh, to rely on faith. Um, it's the source of our hope in, in a very, very difficult situation like this. Uh, I've written to the parishes um, and reminded them of that, that, that at the moment things seem hopeless, but in fact our hope is in God, and, and, uh, and we have uh, our faith in Jesus Christ who gathers us together into a community and, and strengthens us in each other, helping us to deal with the pain we're experiencing, uh, together and with that it becomes less of a burden than it would be if we just tried to do this by ourselves and there's so much we can talk about uh, we're running out of time but I, I do want to ask you this this your excellency um what would be your message uh to people right now especially as we try to make sense of this i mean really making sense of a senseless and tragic situation what would you say well my my, my message is 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 essentially that our faith is in Jesus Christ, and Jesus uh, himself, in suffering his pain, the pain of his, of his uh, passion and death, uh, gives us hope, because he that was not the end of the story. The end of the story was his resurrection and the life that he gives to us out of the Father's eternal love for each of us. And we can never forget that, and we, we rely on that as our hope and as the way forward for us in dealing with one another. Well, thank you so much, Your Excellency, for, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Again, our prayers are with you and thank everyone you. in the state of Maine right now. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.
In other news, according to a Palestinian telecom provider, Internet service has been cut off in Gaza Strip. This following a heavy bombardment of Israeli airstrikes into Gaza as the night carries on. This comes as Israeli ground forces are said to be expanding their activity in Gaza ahead of a likely ground invasion. The Israeli defense minister says the invasion will be long and difficult as they attempt to wipe out Hamas and its network of underground tunnels. Meanwhile, an aid convoy from the International Committee of the Red Cross has arrived in the Gaza Strip. The humanitarian personnel will assist in the devastated area. Our Bishop David Malloy of the U.S. Bishops Conference responded to the escalating conflict by saying in part, quote, we renew the call for the release of hostages and protection of civilian populations. At the same time, we affirm continued efforts to allow humanitarian access, including corridors for those seeking safety and urge Congress to provide support for relief efforts. Well, emotional times on Capitol Hill. Lawmakers meet directly with American and Israeli families who have loved ones being held hostage by Hamas. Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales spoke with several who say all they can do is wait and continue to pray. Good evening. Israeli officials have verified that over 200 people are being held hostage by the terrorist organization Hamas, including more than a dozen Americans. Relatives gave lawmakers eyewitness accounts of the abductions and murders. One man shared his story with me about how his family members were kidnapped 20 days ago. When the terrorists came, after some tried to, to defend them, he was shot and, and wounded. Mark Aviskier tells me his brother-in-law was shot trying to fight the terrorists who raided their home. Mark adds his 12-year-old nephew, Aton, his sister and two nieces, one a 20-month-old infant, were forced by armed terrorists to get on motorcycles. While the terrorists murdered a quarter of the village's population, the mother and girls managed to escape. Aton's mother could only watch as her son rode away. Well, she see... The other motorbike with her son, 12 years old, Eitan, just keep riding into, the, that's in, into Gaza, and that's, as I said, it's the last time she's seen him. Lawmakers held a press conference highlighting others who have relatives being held by Hamas. One woman shared the text message she received from her mother in Gaza. Dad has been kidnapped by terrorists. I'm alone in the safe room. Can't talk. I never imagined in my life getting this message. Each called on lawmakers not to forget their family members. Lawmakers agreed. The Congress of the United States is committed. Republicans, Democrats across the board in leaving no hostage behind. Mark tells me the murders and kidnappings by Hamas have hurt the peaceful efforts by other Palestinians. What happened here, the crime against humanity, against Israelis, against Palestinians, is a crime against Palestinians themselves. Mark and others tell me Hamas is cruel, but they also add they are strategic and smart. That's why they've released several Americans in an effort to see what President Biden's next move will be. There are reports of significant progress in negotiations to release more hostages held by Hamas, but U.S. officials caution that the talks are touch and go. All the family members are praying one day soon they will be reunited with their loved ones. At the Capitol, Eric Rosales, EWTN, News Nightly. And we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including strengthening ties. 
China's top diplomat visits the White House, and everyone is calling really to end the violence and to start talking peace. An archbishop from Iraq speaks out on behalf of Christians in the Middle East. confirmed that U.S. fighter jets launched airstrikes early today on targets in Syria connected to Iran's Revolutionary Guard Corps. Two F-16s targeted a weapons and ammunition storage facility in eastern Syria. The Pentagon said it was in response to a series of ongoing and mostly unsuccessful attacks against U.S. personnel in Iraq and Syria by Iranian-backed militia groups. In a statement, the Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin said, quote, the United States does not seek conflict and has no intention nor desire to engage in further hostilities. But these Iranian-backed attacks against U.S. forces are unacceptable and must stop. Well, the most recent of those militia attacks happened at a U.S. air base in Erbil, Iraq. We are told there were no casualties, just some minor damage to infrastructure. Yet for those who live there, it makes for a very tense situation. We go now to Archbishop Bashar Warda, the County and Catholic Archbishop for the Archdiocese of Erbil, Iraq. Your Excellency, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, first off, tell us, what's the atmosphere in Erbil right now with all that's happening in the Middle East? Uh, we, the people of Iraq, we know the effect of, of wars and violence, and we've been through this so many times. And we not just feel sorry, but we are praying uh, to end the violence and uh, and start the peace, talking peace again. But, uh, yeah, our people are just, uh, in a way, a bit frightening that, God forbids, this would, would spread. Your Excellency, I'm wondering, how's the Christian community in Iraq, how are they feeling about things? So we, we spoke to Aid to the Church in Need last week, and we were talking about the situation in Gaza. And um, Ed Clancy had mentioned to us that he feels that this might be the end of Christianity, at least in Gaza. How are Christians feeling in Iraq? You're right. You're right. All of these crises usually affect badly the presence and the number of the Christian community in the in, in Middle East. Uh, almost, I would say, from 20 percent. I mean, 50 years ago, we were like around 20 percent Christians in the Middle East. Today, I would say probably less than 4 percent, uh, maybe, maybe 4 percent or even less. And we talk also with some of our friends in, in Lebanon, and they have another difficulties. We talk with, with the people in, in Syria. They have also their difficulties. Yeah, the, the 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 presence of the uh, of the Christians in in Middle East uh, is really experiencing a very critical situation. Your Excellency, we talk about at least it seems like now there's such a divide. How how can we come together? I know you know we we talked about and report on the tragic fire um, at the Catholic wedding in late September in Iraq that killed dozens of people, and I know that you praise the Muslim community for its outreach to Christians. Um, so can you talk to us maybe about that situation and also how can we come together and work together? Uh, the, what you call the, the, the bright side of, of all of these crises, you would find always 
community around you in solidarity, whether you, for example, uh, in America or in Europe, uh, you mentioned church in, uh, church in need, and you also you have so many other people like Knights of Columbus, and you could, you could name it. Just remembering the Christians here in Iraq, in your prayers and, and, so, and in your reports, because you are doing a really great job in, in just letting people to know what's happening, uh, not just uh, the headlines, uh, which is concerning uh, certain events, but uh, not to be forgotten with, the, with these events. That's in itself, it's a big help. Here uh, also, I would say uh, our, our community or our people are in solidarity. We've seen that in, in what happened in, in, in that hall, uh, how people and the government got together uh, two days ago, we celebrated uh, also the graduation of uh, Catholic, the, the th uh, class 23 of, of Catholic University in Erbil, and the Prime Minister of Kurdistan Regional Government uh, was there, uh, and he stayed and he gave the, an excellent speech. Uh, he said, I believe in this community, which is, uh, and it's a sacred ground. These kinds of encouragement when it comes from from the government and from Muslim community around us and from you uh, would really strengthen the spirit of the of the community despite all of these difficulties. It's so important to hear Archbishop Bashar Warda County and Catholic Archbishop for the Archdiocese of Erbil, Iraq. Always great to be with you, Your Excellency. Thank you for Thank your you. time. God bless. Thank you. God bless you too. Well, president Joe Biden meets with China's top diplomat, the White House says. The president emphasized that both countries need to manage competition in the relationship responsibly and maintain open lines of communication. The meeting comes just days after the communist country is accused of threatening a U.S. military bomber. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Tracy, the meeting was not a huge surprise. In fact, it was expected to happen. And we're told President Joe Biden also underscored that the United States and China must work together to address global challenges, the conflicts in Ukraine and Israel at the top of that list. And the U.S. and China are not exactly on friendly terms. The U.S. Defense Department releases video of a Chinese fighter jet flying dangerously close to an American B-52 bomber. The provocative action took place Tuesday in international airspace over the South China Sea. The U.S. military says the PRC pilot flew in an unsafe and unprofessional manner within 10 feet of the B-52, putting both aircraft in danger of collision. This all comes as the Biden administration hosts China's foreign minister in Washington, D.C. I very much look forward to constructive conversations over the next two days. Secretary of State Antony Blinken sat down with Wang Yi again today at the State Department. And former Ambassador Sam Brownback earlier told us the U.S. needs to take a stand against aggression or the situation with China will get worse. Put maximum pressure on this Iranian regime, not let them get away of it using uh, this, this terror tool in the Middle East. And if we do let them get away with that, you'll probably see China step up their threats and their actions towards Taiwan. And speaking at an event at the Heritage Foundation today on foreign policy, Florida governor and GOP presidential candidate Ron DeSantis said, as we look across the world now, we are a nation adrift. The Biden foreign policy is rudderless, weak, misguided. DeSantis also said American power is on the decline, accelerating under the Biden administration.
The CCP is keeping both Iran and Russia afloat financially. China's purchasing massive amounts of Iranian oil on the black market, thereby enriching the mullahs. And one more note, the U.S. has been disappointed with China over its support for Russia in the war against Ukraine and its relative silence on the Israel-Hamas war. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, a sign of hope. Victories for pro-lifers in Russia. Plus, the Holy Father presides over a special service for peace at the Vatican. Several private clinics in Russia say they will no longer provide abortions. The country's health ministry has also mandated that talking points be used by medical personnel to try and talk women out of having an abortion. Overall, abortion in Russia remains legal and widely available. Pope Francis calls on the Virgin Mary to intercede for the crisis in the Middle East. The prayer service at St. Peter's Basilica was the culmination of a worldwide day of fasting and prayer for peace. Pope Francis asked the Virgin Mary to shed her light on the darkness of conflict. Well, finally tonight, the youngest participant in the Synod on Synodality is set to miss a few days of school next week, but he has a good excuse. The 19-year-old from the University of Wyoming received a sick note from Pope Francis. The Holy Father is asking university officials to give a few days off from classes so he has a chance to recharge. We think that's a good idea, too. Oh, we thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.